Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this afternoon. And we, we know something of power struggles in America, really at every economic and social level. The chains of command and government are in frequent conflict, maybe even increasingly so, it seems. Uh, we see those in positions of authority abusing their power, and we see those in um, positions under authority not submitting to their superiors. Right? And so we see this at, at all different levels, and the examples of this today are, are really too numerous to even mention, and I'd sure I'd step on everyone's toes if I started to try to name people. But they, they do reflect a culture that has issues with the very concept of authority. They kind of just box at any idea of a hierarchy. Um, all of the hierarchies in, in business, in, in politics, in religious uh, institutions are, it would seem, under attack uh, in our day and age. And so in this passage, it's, it's refreshing to see one who not only possessed authority, but who also knew how to submit to a higher authority as well. That's what we see in this passage of a centurion. So before we read, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, um, this true example of from this centurion who reached out to Christ and reached out for compassion upon his servant. Really a a centurion who is a model for us of how to respond to the gospel with faith and humility, with confidence in the power of Christ to heal. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to listen to this and to understand its application to us, Lord, whether it's to give us a certain knowledge, to give us a, a, a level of assurance, of peace, of comfort, or whether it's to cause us to, to really consider our own um, willingness to submit to the Lordship and reign of Christ. Lord, it might be, we all might be in different places in our walk with you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do a work through your word by your spirit as we listen in faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, read with me Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed, 
For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, it's a very simple passage and um, hopefully an, an encouraging one for us. We see Jesus has finished his discourse on the plain, uh, probably in the same region. When it says that he, he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, probably not a far walk, not a, not a, a journey really from where he is to Capernaum, the, the city proper, both we, it is believed that are in, in the region of the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. So Capernaum is right there on the coast, and we believe he was preaching in that general area um, in, in the previous chapter. But it, he is encountered here by a servant, uh, or sorry, a, he finds out about a centurion who has a servant who is sick to the point of death. So a centurion's servant is deathly ill, um, and so the centurion sends for help, and he does so through Jewish elders. And we don't know precisely who these Jewish elders are. Um, it seems unlikely that they would be, like, from the the synagogue, but it's possible, like, that they were religious leaders. Uh, it says that he, he had built their synagogue, so he, he possibly had a relationship with them. It also could be that they were political uh, representatives of the, of the Jewish nation, and, and it seems that he has a good relationship with them politically here, that he loves the Jews, and he, he loves um, his position here as a centurion in this region, in, in Capernaum. Um, and so his responsibility would have been, on behalf of Rome, maintaining peace there. And, and so there, um, that, that relationship typically wasn't a positive one. And this is a unique kind of centurion, one who is humble, one who's willing to, to uh, even be a blessing to the people who he is trying to um, oversee. And so that's what we find out from the Jewish elders as they go to Jesus. They find out that he, uh, he loves their nation and he even built their synagogue. And the implication there is probably that he funded it, that he provided the full funding. So he's a wealthy centurion. He's not just one with political power or military might, he actually has um, wealth as, as well, um, and he uses it to be a blessing to others. This would put him, at the very least, as a God-fearer in this day and age, right? He's a God-fearer, recognizing God, but still not becoming a proselyte, not entering into the Jewish uh, community himself but respecting their worship and even, even enabling them, right? And, and uh, not being a hindrance to them, which was much far, I mean, which was more common, right? Because the Jews were, were set up in, as in an antagonistic relationship to, to Rome. You know, Rome, Rome saw them as a threat to their own um, religious power. So notice the repeated references to this centurion's kindness, 
First of all, he cares for his sick servant. It's not a personal sickness that he has. It's not a family member of his, although he probably treats his servant as a family member. He loves his servant. He, He sees him now probably on his deathbed, and he's concerned for him. And so he sends, he, he doesn't feel himself worthy to go himself, so he sends the Jewish leaders, can you, repre- can you represent me? Can you vouch for me before Jesus? Because I've heard what Jesus can do. Right? So he trusts that Jesus will be able to heal his servant. We learn from the elders that he loves their nation, and not only that, but he supports their worship. And so he's generous and he's kind in many ways. And the question is, where did that come from? And it didn't come from the typical centurion background, from their upbringing. Uh, it didn't come from his nature, his human nature. Right? It, it came from, it would seem, the Holy Spirit and doing a work. Now, whether that spiritual work has come to fruition fully so that he has placed his trust entirely in Christ, it's, it's not perfectly clear in this passage, but we do believe that this is an example of someone who who trusts. It's the kind of trust that Jesus calls us to. We'll look at that in a little bit, but but his kindness and his character comes from the mercy, at the very least, of the common grace of our Lord. Um, He's probably still filled with some theological confusions about what's required of him, about all the various doctrines that he, was, that he hasn't learned yet. But he has the kind of character that has been transformed by being around godly saints and showing them kindness. So the faith of this outsider should encourage all of us to have that kind of attitude, to be ready to do good, to show compassion, to show love to others. And kindness isn't always easy. We all know what it's like to have to be kind to someone that kind of annoys us or bothers us, gets under our skin. And, it's, and maybe in those circumstances, we feel justified in being cold or even unsympathetic. You know, I'm not, I don't need to get along with everyone. Not going to be everyone's best friend. And that might be true, but, but it doesn't mean we should be distant or cold, right? It does mean we can be kind to them. We can show love even to our enemies. And really, that's the point, right? It's a reflection of the work of a loving God who's shown us kindness when we were completely undeserving. J.C. Ryle says, the kind person the kind person will seldom be without friends. I think that's true. The kind of person you lean upon, the kind of person you rely upon is the one who has shown you kindness. And so his character, though, goes beyond kindness, right? And really the central point of this passage is his faith. In verse 6, Jesus went with them, so Jesus begins to follow them. And when he's not far off, the centurion sent friends So these friends come to him and they're speaking on his behalf, on the centurion's behalf, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. 
So he's not worthy to come to them. Notice, right, the centurion sends friends to meet Jesus, unwilling to go stand before him himself. And in a sense, he's, he's saying, he's acknowledging that he's not worthy to either host Jesus in his home, not worthy of the gift that that would be, or to even stand before him. And then you go on in verse uh, 7, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he trusts that Jesus has the authority to heal by the word of his command, that Jesus can simply say the word and someone can be healed. He doesn't need to be in his presence. He doesn't need to touch the person. He can simply declare it, and it would be so. And he likens this to his own authority, just as he has authority and he's under authority. So he recognizes that Jesus has been sent from God and that as in that position as God's servant, God's representative, he also has the authority to heal, to bring healing. So centurion is, is not the highest rank in the military, He's got superiors, and he, though, has, has many soldiers that he oversees, that he has authority over. A centurion, uh, the name indicates that it, he was overseeing 100 soldiers, but it was much more used as, a, as simply a rank, um, sort of broad parameters for the amount of troops or soldiers that he might oversee. They weren't, they weren't exactly precise in, in their numbers, but he oversaw a larger company, but it would have been a mid-level range um, command post, right? It was sort of like a captain. Um, so notice the contrast here, though, between the Jewish elders and what they said. He's worthy. He's worthy for you to do this kindness to him, to heal his servant. And yet his own words, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy that he even see you. I'm not worthy to stand in your presence. That's what he was willing to declare about himself. The, honor, the elders honored him and considered him worthy, but he would not exalt himself. And it's a beautiful picture here, right, of his humility. That clearly informed his trust and his faith. There's a relationship there between humility and trust, humility and faith. And it foreshadows the example of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, right, of an outsider who, uh, who responds to the gospel. So humility and faith, they go hand in hand. Genuine trust, in fact, re- requires humility. You might even apply that horizontally in your relationships. Think about those that you trust. It required a level of vulnerability with them. Right? At some point, you had to be vulnerable. You had to risk your emotions with them. It'd be open and honest with them. If you wanted any kind of deeper connection with them, there'd be a level of openness there and a vulnerability, which is humbling. But if that trust was ever going to be reached, it, it had to be present. And so, of course, if it applies horizontally, it applies vertically as well. R.C. Sproul says, there is no hope of justification until one is ready to humble himself before God. We see our unworthiness. We see our need for a Savior. That's 
There is no hope of justification apart from that, apart from that kind of humility. And so ultimately, I would say that the centurion here does model a proper response to the gospel. He models a humility and a faith in this scene that is meant to be an encouragement to all of us. And that's, in fact, why Jesus responds by turning to the crowd and saying, this man's faith, right, who wasn't even present, who his friends were representing, but he points to that man's faith and he says, I haven't seen that kind of faith even in Israel. He's to be an example. He's to be a model for us. And so we anticipate a happy ending, right? And we come to verse 9 and he recognizes, Jesus marvels, it says, at the man's faith. There's only one other place where Jesus marvels in the Gospels. And it's not by the faith, but it's by the unbelief of his own people. He marvels that his own people have departed from the faith. And he marvels when this centurion who was outside the covenant community, at least up until then, and, and he shows and expresses a deep, abiding faith. And so it concludes with this, uh, and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. When the centurion's friends returned to the house, the servant's already been healed. And so much like we saw in Judges ten sixteen this morning, it's the Lord's compassion that provides the foundation for our salvation. That's the compassion that this centurion was hoping in. He trusted in this Jesus to bring healing. And so Jesus pauses to marvel at the quality of this Gentile's faith. Right? His hope was in Jesus' compassion and that's what exemplifies a quality faith, a faith that is resting and trusting in the right person, in the right way, right? And so he acknowledges it. He pauses to marvel at the quality of this Gentile's faith. He trusted like few others. And it's a model of faith that we should all aspire to possess, is it not? Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 86, says, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. We emphasize that phrase this morning again, that saving grace, talking about repentance. Well, here it's talking about faith in Jesus Christ, and it's saying that is a saving grace, meaning it is granted to us by God. But then it goes on to say, whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. When the gospel is offered to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his, his person and his work, when we hear that presented, we receive and we rest in that truth. The centurion wholly trusted in Christ alone for healing. And it's our only hope as well. Right, we must do likewise in response to the gospel. And so let me summarize here. The centurion's requ request reveals his kindness, a kindness to the Jews that wasn't typical of people in his position. Although it is interesting, ironically, every centurion that's mentioned in the New Testament is mentioned with a positive godly character. Right? But it was an ironic, it, it's ironic for that time. 
for someone in his position to have the character that he had. The centurion's faith stemmed from a humility that recognized and submitted under the power and compassion of Jesus Christ. And the Savior's response was to marvel at how accurately this outsider understood the gospel. And so one of Luke's goals throughout the gospel, as well as his uh, history in Acts, is to tell, to chronicle this extension of the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is the first example we have of that in his writings. The centurion models for us a humble faith that wholly trusts in the grace of a compassionate Lord. And that's, that's our takeaway here. The centurion models for us a humble faith that wholly trusts in the grace of a compassionate Lord. That is our hope. So let us turn to him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a compassionate father, that 